section eighteen of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly crake chapter two part twelve anglo-norman poets french metrical romances and other poetry accordingly continued to be written in england and in many instances by englishmen throughout the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries of the anglo-norman poets of this period one of the most famous is a lady marie who describes herself as of france but who appears to have resided in england in the time of henry the third her poems consisting principally of lay or lays the subjects of which she professes to have found in the bas breton or celtic tongue of brittany and of fables in the manner of aesop translated she says from an english version made by a king of england by which she probably means a collection attributed to alfred the great although another theory is that she refers to a work by henry the first were first brought into notice by terwitt introductory discourse to the canterbury tales of chaucer notes twenty four and twenty nine they were afterwards made the subject of a paper by the abbe de la rue in the archaeologia volume thirteen pages thirty five to sixty seven published in seventeen ninety seven and they have since been published by m b de roquefort under the title of poesie de marie de france ou requis de Ré-I, fable et autres productions de cette femme célèbre two volumes octavo paris eighteen twenty an account including nearly a complete translation of the lay which are twelve in number besides two which m de roquefort has printed apparently without any authority for assigning them to marie is given by ellis in his early english metrical romances appendix two to introduction pages one forty three to two hundred and the reader may also consult what has been written about marie by ritson in a note to the romance of Amère, ancient english metrical romances three three thirty by mr price in a long and elaborate note upon wharton history of english poetry one seventy four to eighty six and by the abbe de la rue in his essai historique three forty seven to one hundred le grand dossi has given prose versions or paraphrases of forty-three of marie's fables in his work entitled fablio ou con du deuxième et du treizième siècle etc marie is mentioned as his contemporary by denis piram or pyramus who was also probably a native of france but lived at the court of henry the third and was in his earlier years the author of many servantois anacreontic songs and other gay pieces but whose only remaining compositions are two religious poems written in the sobriety and penitence of his old age 
the first on the life and martyrdom of saint edmund in three thousand two hundred and eighty six verses the second in seven hundred and fourteen verses on the miracles of the same royal saint another trouveur of this date was no less a person than the famous grosset bishop of lincoln already mentioned grosset who was an englishman a native of suffolk is the author of a religious romance of one thousand seven hundred and forty eight lines on the favourite subject of the fall and restoration of man which is sometimes called the chatel d'amour by which expression the virgin mary is meant sometimes the roman des romans and there is also attributed to him another french poem of much greater length which m de la rue thinks is the same that is preserved in one of the royal manuscripts at the british museum manuscript registered sixteen e nine and is in that copy entitled traite des peches et des vertus although spoken of by other copyists as the manual it consists of more than seven thousand verses the title by which grosset's second work is commonly referred to is the manual des peches but the only known french poem bearing this title appears to be the work of a later writer william of waddington who lived in the end of the thirteenth or beginning of the fourteenth century it is a translation but with much additional matter from a latin poem entitled floritus which was printed both in folio at london and in quarto at cannes in the same year fifteen twelve waddington's manual which contains nearly ten thousand verses exists in several manuscripts of which two in the harleian collection have at the end a farewell address to the reader explaining his object in undertaking the translation it was he says with a view of making the beauties of the floritus be felt by a people who ran eagerly after everything written in french verse and that the work might be understood by great and small which proves observes the abbe de la rue that the knowledge of the french language was then generally diffused in england waddington also asks his readers to pardon the faults he may have committed whether in expression or in regard to the laws of rhyme on the ground that being an englishman by birth it was impossible that he should write french verse with perfect purity and correctness a peculiar subject which engaged many of the french poets of the thirteenth century was the history of alexander the great about a dozen trouveurs of france and england are enumerated who devoted themselves to this singular chapter of the romance of chivalry and several of their performances still survive although they can scarcely in any case be assigned with certainty to their proper authors one roman d'alexandre is attributed at least in some copies to a thomas of kent who is placed by some authorities in the twelfth century by others about the beginning of the fourteenth and who it has been suggested may possibly be the author of the french romance of le roi horn and also the thomas referred to by robert de Brun as the original narrator of the story of sir tristram which upon this supposition must have first appeared in norman french another celebrated early french romance is that of havelock le danois founded on a well-known story of the saxon era relating to the town of grimsby in lincolnshire which has been very ably edited for the roxborough club 
by sir frederick madden along with the somewhat shorter relation of the same adventures which is found in guy mar's continuation of wace's brute and a much longer english poem on the same subject Monsieur de la rue however seems to have shown that the learned editor is mistaken in attributing to the separate roman which extends to one thousand one hundred and six lines the priority in point of time over the version given by gaimar containing eight hundred and eighteen lines and to have proved that it belongs not to the earlier part of the twelfth but to the thirteenth century other trouveurs of this period connected with england either by birth residence or the subjects of their poetry are chardry supposed to have been born in gloucestershire in the thirteenth century the author of several religious romances one of two thousand nine hundred and twenty-four verses on the lives of st barlam and st josephat another of one thousand seven hundred and fifty verses on the legend of the seven sleepers a third of about two thousand verses entitled le petit plat being a dispute between an old and a young man on the happiness and misery of human life adam de Rotrot, an english monk of the same age from whom we have a poem on the legend of the descent of saint paul to the infernal regions haley of winchester the translator of the distich of cato for the use as he says of those of the english who not understanding latin spoke only the romance or french the anonymous author of a continuation of wace's brute in the common octosyllabic verse in which he brings down the history in a fierce anti-norman spirit from the death of cadwallader at the close of the seventh century to the twenty-fourth year of the reign of henry the third a d twelve forty telling among other things not elsewhere to be found a remarkable story of a prophetic revelation made to the conqueror touching the fates of his three sons pierre dury a norman described as a writer of true poetical genius who is the author of the romance of ansaï de carthage one of the paladins of charlemagne in ten thousand eight hundred and fifty verses of the roman de beuve de hampton et de sami yosian fille du roi d'armenie our english bevis of hampton in eighteen thousand five hundred and twenty-five verses and of a continuation of a romance on the subject of judas maccabeus begun by gautier de Bellepeche, godfrey of waterford an irish dominican monk the author of a verse translation of the pretended trojan history of Darius Phrygius, and also of several other versions of Latin works into French prose. Robert Bicay, the writer in the latter part of the thirteenth century of the Lai du Corn, founded on a very popular Arthurian fiction. Two anonymous writers of the same age, to each of whom we owe a short poem on the purgatory of St. Patrick, one of about eighteen hundred and the other of about seven hundred and sixty verses walter of exeter a franciscan monk of cornwall to whom is attributed the romance of guy de warwick et de felice fille du comte de buckingham extending to nearly eleven thousand five hundred verses and peter de langtoff a canon of the priory of st augustine at bridlington in yorkshire who has left us a translation of the british history of geoffrey of monmouth 
a continuation of the english story in the same style from the arrival of the saxons to the reign of edward i a life of that king a translation of herbert de barcham's latin life of becket and one or two shorter pieces all in french verse french prose romances foissard down to the end of the twelfth century verse was probably the only form in which romances meaning originally any compositions in the romance or french language then any narrative compositions whatever were written in the thirteenth a few may have appeared in prose but before the close of the fourteenth prose had become the usual form in which such works were produced and many of the old metrical romances have been recast in this new shape the early french prose romances however do not like their metrical predecessors belong in any sense to the literature of this country many of them were no doubt generally read for a time in england as well as in france but we have no reason for believing that any of them were primarily addressed to the english public or were written in england or by english subjects and even during the brief space that they continued popular they seem to have been regarded as foreign importations their history therefore is no part of our present subject but there is one remarkable product of the french literature of the fourteenth century which must be made an exception the chronicle of the inimitable sir jean foissard this work indeed has in everything except the language in which it is written nearly as much of an english as of a french interest foissard was a native of valenciennes where he appears to have been born about thirteen thirty seven but the four books of his chronicle which relates principally to english affairs though the narrative embraces also the course of events in france flanders scotland and other countries comprehend the space from thirteen twenty six to fourteen hundred or the whole of the reigns of our edward the third and richard the second for the first thirty years of this space he intimates that his authority was a previous writer jean le balcanon of liege whom he greatly praises for his diligence and accuracy and some years ago the chronicle of la belle which was supposed to have perished was discovered in the library of the old dukes of burgundy at brussels when it turned out that foissard's first eighty chapters are almost a literal transcript from his predecessor foissard however is rather of authority as a painter of manners than as an historian of events for his passion for the marvellous and the decorative was so strong that the simple fact we fear would have had little chance of acceptance with him in any case when it came into competition with a good story in his own and in the next age accordingly his history was generally reckoned and designated a romance caxton and his book of the ordre of chevalerie or knighthood classes it with the romances of lancelot and percival and indeed the roman o chronique seems to have been the title by which it was at first commonly known on the other hand however it is fair to remember that a romance was not in those days held to be necessarily a fiction foissard's chronicle is certainly the truest and most lively picture that any writer has bequeathed to us of the spirit of a particular era it shows the very age and body of the time his form and pressure in a higher than the literal sense the most apocryphal incidents of this most splendid and imaginative of gossips are full of truth they cast more light upon the actual men and manners that are described and bring back to life more of the long-buried past than the most careful details of any other historian 
the popularity of froissart's chronicle has thrown into the shade his other productions but his highest fame in his own day was as a writer of poetry his greatest poetical work appears to have been a romance entitled meliodor or the knight of the sun of gold and he also wrote many shorter pieces chant royaux ballads rondeaux and pastorals in what was then called the new poetry which indeed he cultivated with so much success that he has by some been regarded as its inventor on his introduction to richard the second when he paid his last visit to england in thirteen ninety six he presented that monarch as he tells us with a book beautifully illuminated engrossed with his own hand bound in crimson velvet and embellished with silver bosses clasped and golden roses comprehending all the pieces of amours and moralities which he had composed in the twenty-four preceding years richard he adds seemed much pleased and examined the book in many places for he was fond of reading as well as speaking french resurrection of the english language but for the last fifty years of the fourteenth century the french language had been rapidly losing the position it had held among us from the middle of the eleventh and becoming among all classes in england a foreign tongue we have already produced the testimonies of higdon writing immediately before the commencement of this change and of trevisa after it had been going on for about a quarter of a century to these may now be added what chaucer writes probably within ten years after the date thirteen eighty five which trevisa expressly notes as that of his statement in the prologue to his testament of love a prose work which seems to have been far advanced if not finished in thirteen ninety two the great father of our english poetry speaking of those of his countrymen who still persisted in writing french verse expresses himself thus certes there been some that speak uh, their poesy mater in french uh, of which uh, speech the french men have as good a fantasia as we have in hearing a french menace englisher and afterwards he adds let then clerkes indicten in latin for they have the property in science and the knowing in that faculty and let a frenchman in their french also indite their quaint termus for it is kindly natural to their mouths and let us show our fantasias in such a word as, as we learned in of our damus tongue french it is evident from this although it might still be a common acquirement among the higher classes had ceased to be the mother tongue of any class of englishmen and was only known to those to whom it was taught by a master so the prioress in the canterbury tales although she could speak french full fera and fittisly or neatly spoke it only after the school uh, of stratford Boa, for french uh, of paris was to her uh, her unknowa from this as from many other passages in old writers we learn that the french taught and spoken in england had as was indeed inevitable become a corrupt dialect of the language or at least very different from the french at paris but as the foreign tongue lost its hold and declined in purity the old teutonic speech of the native population favoured by the same circumstances and course of events which checked and depressed its rival and having at last after going through a process almost of dissolution and putrefaction began to assume a new organization gradually recovered its ascendancy we have already examined the first revolution which the language underwent and endeavoured to explain the manner in which it was brought about 
it consisted in the disintegration of the grammatical system of the language and the conversion of it from an inflectional and synthetic into a comparatively non-inflected and analytic language the vocabulary or what we may call the substance of the language was not changed that remained still purely gothic as it always had been only the old form or structure was broken up or obliterated there was no mixture or infusion of any foreign element the language was as it were decomposed but was not adulterated and the process of decomposition may be regarded as having been the work of the eleventh century and as having been begun by the danish conquest and consummated by the norman this first revolution which the language underwent is to be carefully distinguished from the second which was brought about by the combination of the native with a foreign element and consisted essentially in the change made in the vocabulary of the language by the introduction of numerous terms borrowed from the french of this latter innovation we find little trace till long after the completion of the former for nearly two centuries after the conquest the english seems to have been spoken and written to the small extent to which it was written with scarcely any intermixture of norman it only in fact began to receive such intermixture after it came to be adopted as the speech of that part of the nation which had previously spoken french and this adoption was plainly the cause of the intermixture so long as it remained the language only of those who had been accustomed to speak it from their infancy and who had never known any other it might have gradually become changed in its internal organization but it could scarcely acquire any additions from a foreign source what should have tempted the saxon peasant to substitute a norman term upon any occasion for the word of the same meaning with which the language of his ancestors supplied him as for things and occasions for which new names were necessary they must have come comparatively little in his way and when they did the capabilities of his native tongue were sufficient to furnish him with appropriate forms of expression from its own resources the corruption of the english by the intermixture of french vocables must have proceeded from those whose original language was french and who were in habits of constant intercourse with french customs french literature and everything else that was french at the same time that they occasionally at least spoke english and this supposition is in perfect accordance with the historical fact so long as the english was at language of only a part of the nation and the french as it were struggled with it for mastery it remained unadulterated when it became the speech of the whole people of the higher classes as well as of the lower then it lost its old teutonic purity and received a larger alien admixture from the alien lips through which it passed whether this was a fortunate circumstance or the reverse is another question it may just be remarked however that the english if it had been left to its own spontaneous and unassisted development would probably have assumed a character resembling rather that of the dutch or the flemish than that of the german of the present day the commencement of this second revolution which changed the very substance of the language may most probably be dated from about the middle of the thirteenth century or about a century and a half after the completion of the first which affected not the substance or vocabulary of the language but only its form or grammatical system End of section eighteen